It's the Daily Talk Show episode 335. And we've got a special guest in our brand spanking new studio, Craig Bruce. Hey, how are you? Did you get my name right? I pretty much butchered that. Bruce. Bruce. I love that you're taking the piss out of how Tommy talks because every time I do it, Tommy brings it back to my childhood and my mum every time she was sort of putting me down on how I said words. Craig yeah, Bruce. Said, Craig Bruce. Craig Bruce. Bruce. Welcome. <laughs> it's a, my, my name is actually a problem I, because, you know, I've got the two first names and um, I take it for granted now, but yeah. whenever I go anywhere, if I'm checking into a hotel or whatever, I do the same thing every time, which is uh, Bruce is the surname, B-A-U-C-E. Yeah. You kind of have to say it because people just assume, yeah. Bruce or Craig or which way is it? The one phoner I never did, but I it was like the first idea when I got to Shepparton was – uh, stem from your name. Who has two first names in their name? Did yeah, you send yeah. it? I didn't to do him it. As an air check? I didn't do it. I was <laughs> probably a bit scared. I mean, you were. That was the. So when I was in Shepparton, you were. That I was, was king of the world. That at was the a peak. Yeah, yeah. That was the peak of your career. Yeah, could peak you say, Bruce? That was yeah. peak of the commercial uh, space. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I, well, the the I'd been in the role head of content at Osterio for a year and then the merge mm. happened and I think that's when so the merger happened with Southern Cross which had a bunch of regional stations and we had the metro stations and the company came together. Um, so I think you came on board after that, obviously, yeah. because we weren't dealing with any regional stations at that time. 2013. Uh, that's when yeah. it, I came at the wrong time, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah it's all about timing. <laughs> I feel like I always push back, like Tommy's got a way with words. So like I, like when he speaks with people, like saying the peak of your career, your no, peak of your career. The I idea. sure no. I said commercial career. Yeah. In terms of it, you're in a different space but now. The thing, but the thing is, no, because I see this, like I seriously do, I'm not just fucking blowing smoke up your ass. <laughs> right now I think is like the most exciting time, which is the uh, combining or the the hybrid of all that experience of in that management level to now being able to almost like, you know, Bring it to the world mm. and bring it to younger talent. Do you feel? Do you feel that transition? Yeah. I, well, um, I, I I kicked and screamed a, 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 the whole way through the process yeah. in terms of I um, and I think I may have talked to you about this before. I mean, I was just institutionalized at Osterio mm. and SCA. I was a young kid when I started there at eighteen and left when I was forty eight. So I had thirty years, essentially all of my adult life with this company. Uh, all that comes to mind for me is three lots of annual leave. <laughs> <laughs> or, or long service. Sorry, long oh, service oh, leave. Yeah, because no nice big yeah. payout. Plus I bet you I could imagine you're the type of guy who would have used his SCA email for everything. You didn't even have your own personal nope, email. I had no personal email. <laughs> I had nothing other than my SCA persona. So it, it took me six months to to really shed that skin mm-hmm. a long time maybe longer 12 months and I really I had all of these people that I worked with um, who I had work connections with mm. um, that looked like friendships nine to five but they were really just great work friendships mm-hmm. and there's a difference between the two so you know you end up leaving a company and um, yeah it was really lonely. Do, do you feel the pressure of it being like a, a what is it a, a second uh, dance it's the the second act you know, for a, a second a, album, second album, you've yeah. you've come out of the commercial space. You're yep. entering into a new landscape, and you're yep. like, "What I have to do has to be good." And that's probably self-imposed pressure people put on themselves. And you've yeah. left the band. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, if someone had offered me a full-time job doing what I'd previously done, I would have taken it. So, yeah. um, and and thank God it didn't happen because I, I think I'm further down the track in terms of just creating some other 
opportunities for myself. But, you know, at the time I just wanted the phone to ring and mm. for me to be able to put some pants on and get back to work, <laughs> you know. So when I did, I wanted to wear, when can I get to wear jeans and a shirt and be in an office again? That yeah. was weird, you know. There was a comfort after 30 years, I'd yeah. say. Well, because when you're in that type of job, the the world revolves around you in lots mm. of ways. And, and um, depending on how you deal with that, and I enjoyed being able to help people and solve problems, whether they were professional or personal, mm. Um, and, um, yeah, and all of my um, persona was wrapped up in that. So yeah. it took a long time to work my way through it. Um, and, yeah, I guess, what is it now, almost four years. Mm. I mean, the podcast has been really helpful. Mm. But I think it was – actually, Jules Lund gave me the best advice I had. He's given a lot of people yeah, advice. Yeah, he's a good is lad. people asking for it from him <laughs> or he just comes in and goes – Brucey, here's a piece of advice. <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, so Sam and uh, and Jules took me out. Sam Kavanagh, um, who's a, a great friend. So Sam's a great friend, and and Jules is is someone that um, I'm really close with. And so they had a sort of a you know wrap up dinner uh, a couple of weeks after I finished up. And where did you go? We we went to a, a Mexican restaurant at the back of um, on St Kilda. What's the what's the drag on? St. Oh yeah, yeah, Ackland Street. Yeah, yeah, mm. little um, one around. Oh, yeah, I like no, that. It's, it's, right the near the my, it's near my house. The one that closed uh, down. Is it blue? No, radio, uh, radio Mexico. Is okay. it? Um, but I, I was going to say, down. was it Tex? <laughs> was it Tex Mex or Fresh Mex? Imagine <laughs> if Jules used the Nando's card. Take Brucey have a dinner. Yeah, that's it. And you're only having eight of those thighs there, twelve or sixteen of them. So he said, "Do you? You're going to write down what you know." And um, you just put pen to paper and start writing. Uh, and um, and I did. I, mm. So I started blogging, uh, not, not necessarily for any other reason than just to make sure that I could kind of collect my thoughts and sort of get some structure around uh, some of the IP that I had and some mm. of my thoughts on, on what I might do next and, you know, lessons along the way. And so that was a starting point. Um, and actually the, the client that I have in Canada – um, it's the, the consulting works really hard. It mm. looks exciting, and it is. The, the, the actual work's amazing, but to get a new client is unbelievably mm. difficult. Yeah. You know, you, and you guys would know this mm. having your own business. It's really hard to find clients. Um, and it normally starts from: Do you have a relationship with the either the head of content or mm. the CEO? And it's 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 based on relationships. And um, so I had written a blog about the fugitive, which was a radio concept from years ago. Mm that we developed in Adelaide um, and uh, and I wrote about, you know, how the idea was developed and it started, you know, as this tiny acorn seed of an idea and how it became this really amazing contest. And I got an email a couple of days later, so I published it and a couple of days later I got an email from Steve Jones in Canada uh, and the title of the email was, uh, so now I, I know who I can thank for The Fugitive, which was um, so because they had been doing it in Canada for X number of years. He said, oh, it's really interesting to hear the the story behind it and he said um it's funny i've got a a role coming up shortly you know would you be interested so that um sort of that one thing leading to another Mm. um but and and i don't write or podcast to um to to get new clients i do it for other reasons but that certainly was one example of here's some content Mm. that resonated and and built a connection through it so what did you learn about relationships when you left sea well, I learned – that's a great question. Um, I well, I didn't work nearly hard enough at external relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was really good at internal SEA relationships, but yeah. I didn't work nearly hard enough from an industry perspective Yeah, because I just didn't value the, mm-hmm. the, the idea of having to um, – I'm not a networker. Mm-hmm. I'm a natural introvert. 
I have, you know, small group of friends. I don't like being in, you know, spaces where there's people I don't know. And How's this one? Is this, oh, this is fine. This is all right. This, okay. is, this is exactly. What about Mister Ninety Seven Years? I'm still <laughs> getting to know him. I'm not, I might. I might have a conversation with. him. I feel like I'm, I'm very similar in that regard. Just like keeping the yeah, keeping the circle small, yeah. that sort of thing. But it also can, I guess, on the flip side, turn into isolation when the f- few friends that you have are all doing their thing at SEA, and then you know. Yeah, you're at home. Well, the reality was I um, because I didn't have a connection with the CEOs at ARN and, and Nova. Mm. Um, you know, you're kind of starting from scratch in, in terms of the role I was doing previously. There was really it, it was essentially um, yeah, I'm 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 here on my own mm-hmm. and starting again virtually. And yeah. um, Craig, I, I've always wondered uh, wh- who is responsible and is there one person and was it you that could pick a talent, could actually say, I want them to be on the radio? Um, depends on the, the, the situation and, and um, you know, where that person's at in their career. If they're brand new starting out and you, mm. can, hear, um, you can hear something that's, you know, underdeveloped but mm. there's, there's some raw material to play with, um, then, yeah, that's a combination of uh, either myself or, you know, when I was at SCA, Guy Dobson or Dave Cameron or uh, Sam Kavanagh. And sometimes, um, you know, we would have debates around, you know, whether a particular person might be as good as someone else thinks they are. But mm. um, normally you can hear something yeah. uh, and, and as a programmer, most programmers can, can kind of hear um, potential yeah. and then it's a question of, you know, what happens from there. So, um, but th- that was my role. Mm. Uh, and so right now, you know, Duncan at ARN, Paul Jackson at Nova, um, Gemma on the Hit Network and Fitzy on Triple M are the gatekeepers of yeah. who moves up the chain. It was always like, a, uh, maybe it's <laughs> jaded radio people, but as soon as a new talent or someone who has been around for a long time gets put into a role, it's like you can – it's easy to jump to the why would you put them on? But yeah. there's also a lot of pressure for you, right? Yeah. Like are you feeling like, shit, this has to work? Um, I never had – I never felt that kind of pressure. There would have been a heap on me mm-hmm. at the time, but I never felt it. I, I, I sort of compartmentalised that part of the work. Um, you just – the funny thing with it is that um, from – from a content perspective, from a programmer's point of view, um, you want every show to be successful. Mm. So, um, whilst it, on the outside looking in, it, it looks like it's a it's it's a flaky job being a breakfast host, and you, you know there's so much at stake and so much risk involved. But what we want is the same as what the performer wants, which is a long, successful career. You know, when we put a show together. And, and when anyone puts a show together, it's based on, okay, let's hope this is around in eight years from mm. now and let's do everything we can to make mm. sure that that's the case. Um, and that obviously doesn't happen um, all the time. But it's like any industry. I mean, I think it's it's all needles in haystacks, yeah. isn't it, at the end of the day? You, yeah. you, particularly when you're talking about incredibly talented shows that can change the trajectory of a company like Hamish mm. and Andy mm. did for, for Osterio. Um, they come along once in a blue moon mm. and you've got to be ready for them and, and they never look or sound like what they end up being mm. and that then comes down to, well, who are you surrounding them with and what kind of people have you got around uh, around the show as it develops and as it finds its feet and um, and that's that's where, the I guess, the art and science come together. Was the Hamish and Andy thing when, they, when you sort of first met them uh, was there that feeling of oh, I could could be onto something here, or was it? And what was a reference point? What were what were Hamish and Andy 
going to be. Yeah. If, you know. Well, well, so the story is that um, – so Jules Lund had won a radio contest being 15 Days of Fame on Fox um, and I was working at Fox as assistant content director. Um, I'd, I'd brought the idea from Adelaide uh, and we used it at Fox. And so Jules won this concept of being on the radio for 15 days mm. and and, and um, having a sense and experience of what it's like to be famous for 15 days. So year eight, driving to school every day. Yeah, Tracy and Matt. Okay, right. I listened yeah. every day. Yes, and he was amazing, as you can imagine. He just yeah. he he did the role brilliantly. He was an incredible kind. Of, I mean, it's just the perfect fit for yeah. that for that idea. So was he, he giving an, you advice at that point? <laughs> uh, well, it's funny you should say, but he he. Um, so bearing so he he's a nobody at that point. Yeah. He's just a listener who's who's registered for the idea. And it just so happened that because I was working on the concept in my role as assistant content director, which was essentially to bring the thing together. Were you in Melbourne at this time? Melbourne, Because yeah. you spent a lot of – like you – did you grow up in Adelaide? Grew or? up in Adelaide, born yeah. and bred, yeah. And so – I had I, – I mean, I've lived in Melbourne on and off for four or five years yeah. and you know, Brisbane and Perth and Gold Coast. So I've lived everywhere, yeah. but um, Adelaide's sort of home base. So non-radio people, it is very common – Practice for people just to move around, yep. right? Pack your stuff. Mm. Yeah. You're off to Perth, yeah, or wherever you might be. You're off to <laughs> yeah. Shepparton. Yeah. So yeah. you were in Melbourne. At, so you're in <laughs> Melbourne at the time. <laughs> you're in Melbourne at the time. Jules has the 15 days, days of, fame. of fame. So we worked together for 15 days, and and I immediately liked him as soon yeah. as I met him. He's just an awesome guy, and 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 we had a and and he's my type of person. I I um, because I'm introverted, I get my energy from um, from myself, but also from others that that um, he inspires me. Yeah. He always has. So um, and. During conversations in and around these 15 days, he would tell me about these trips that he would go on overseas with his mates and they'd get themselves on talk shows and they'd do all these crazy fucking things. And he said in passing, he said, actually, one of them, they're actually, they have a radio show um, at the local uni. And I said, well, we need to meet them. Who are these yeah. people? So, I don't know, a week later or whatever, these three tall, lanky kids walk into Brian Ford, who was the program director's office at Fox FM. So it was Ryan, Hamish, and Andy. Uh, and they sat down and we talked to them and, and, you know, what are you doing and what are you up to? And then we took them into the studio. Mm. And because I was still on the air at that time, an assistant content director, I was the um, the anchor of the little pilot show that we did. You could have been Cackling Craig. I could have been <laughs> Cackling Craig, which would have worked so much better in terms of the alliteration. Um, and uh, so there I am, um, and of you know, 1019 The Fox, it's Hamish and, uh, Hamish and Andy and, and Ryan, I guess we called it, and um, they started speaking and Hamish is, is doing what Hamish does. And my jaw is on the desk going, who the hell – this guy's unbelievable. I mean, they yeah. were incredible, the three yeah. of them together, as you know. And, and, but uh, what and they was didn't, it? They didn't do what I did, insult Craig in the first three seconds. <laughs> no, of no, they didn't do a what joke w- about my name. Yeah, <laughs> what, what, what was the actual – can you sort of describe – well, well it's, it's, I guess, what you hear with Hamish, just an incredible wit, mm. um, just so fast on his feet and, and just away with language. Mm. And that's not uh, – I mean, I heard Hamish first and obviously Andy's as critical. They, mm-hmm. they, they can't do the show without each other. But that's what I heard. Yeah. And um, so I walked out of the studio down to the first floor where the executives, the national executives were, and a guy called Jeff Alice, who's a great mentor and friend, and I went into his office and I said, mate, I don't know how much you've got in terms of, um, 
you know, I, I knew they were warehousing talent and, and had some, some content budgets for developing talent. I said, you just got to put it all on black. You just get, get these guys on the air. And, yeah. um, and look, that, so that is the story. Yeah. But, but um, you know, and I played a t- like a 1% role. Brian Ford was content director and, and was key to getting them on the air and into situations. Obviously, Sam Kavanagh came mm-hmm. into the mix. And then they did all of the work themselves. Um, but... Uh, and we had five years with them in off-Broadway shows. Mm. I mean, they didn't go from zero to 100 in five minutes. They yeah. worked really hard over a long period of time. And and even when we had them ready to go, we held them back for another six to 12 months. Um, you know, they did Drive in Melbourne before they did the national show. Um, so it, it, that was a lesson in, mm. um, you know, working with them and developing them and having them absolutely primed and ready. Mm. And, and, and How much know. do you bring that down to luck? Because you could push back on luck and say, no, I, at that time, was on the hunt. I'd been doing the work, trying to identify who's talented. Oh, well, that, that was just um, happenstance. That was luck. That we, um, and we didn't know that we would need Hamish Nandy like we did in a few mm-hmm. years from, mm-hmm. from that point because, you know, Nova had just launched and Nova, you know, ended up, you know, absolutely toweling us in every market. Um, uh, you know, they were the younger, cooler, hipper brand and – and and just in in every single market wherever they launched they beat us essentially they had a mascot that worked in festivals oh, yeah, yeah. better yeah, than a, a fox did you ever have a costume like a fox costume no, i i wore the fox costume at a basketball um <laughs> Mate, i've been event. in fox yeah. costume yeah really? I was on the street it's pretty team. hot in there isn't it it's in that horrible thing? Yeah, craig have they completely <laughs> discontinued the the fox like imaging. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Well, there's the fox suit doesn't exist anymore. Uh, well, I don't know. I hope it doesn't. I hope it's burnt. It's <laughs> yeah. stunk. Sure every, every sweaty street teamer was in that. Jules thing. Lund probably has it. He's got a quite a good <laughs> collection of, of, uh, of co- bear suits and things of costumes or? in general. <laughs> Jesus. Um, okay. You 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 mentioned uh, you held them back. You ha- um, held H and A and Ryan at the time yep. uh, back a bit, or I'm guessing at that point it was. Um, just, just Hamish, Hamish Nandy. I just think Hamish Ryan Nandy. made an early call pretty yeah. pretty well from the start. And so the holding the back, is that a common thing that you think that you have to do, a talent pushing harder and you're having to pull? Um, uh, yes, that, that that's absolutely true. I think that most, you know, presenters are, you know, really good presenters are mm-hmm. always in a hurry and yeah. probably, you know, want to get to wherever it is they want to go faster than we would necessarily think is, is a good thing for them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the risk, do you think? Have well, you, just not being s- ready for yeah. a big stage. So, uh, you know, and in 2001 to 05, I mean, American Rosso were the preeminent mm-hmm. um, male comedy duo. Mm-hmm. Young, handsome, funny, mm-hmm. and for us, you know, we're developing Hamish and Andy and thinking, kind of, it could almost be a bit of a me too thing if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. Um, as in, you know, here's our version of American Rosso. Yeah. Not that we ever thought of it like that, but we didn't want that for mm. them. We didn't want that comparison. Just to be clear, Hamish and Andy were never caught up in a me too. <laughs> yeah, you can't oh, say right, me yeah, too sorry, anymore. Sorry, then. Hashtag <laughs> 2019. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, uh, but. You know, you could just hear them evolve and we would just give them more and more opportunities. Mm. And I think the thing with, with them was that they were um, just so open to – it was a collaborative yeah. um, approach. Yeah. You know, um, let, let's see if we can do more in this area or let's put you into this show for a, for a period of time. And they were just really open to the experience and mm-hmm. open – as you know, they're, mm. you know, they're very they're, – it's, it's about um, – you know, they're, they're happy to take feedback and, and they're interested in – in abundance, right? Mm-hmm. You can get good from wherever you can take that information from. 
I just love that sort of group of friends. It's amazing that you've got Ryan Shelton, Hamish Blake, Andy Lee, Jules Lund. Whipper. Whipper, yeah. Katie Diamond. Sam Cav. It's amazing that it's just this... And they're actually friends from very long time ago. Yeah. And they've yeah. just risen in this. Well, they're, they're kind of, it's, it's the degeneration of our generation, right? It's, mm. you know, it's the Mick and Tony and, and Tom and, uh, and, and Rob, you know, they had that collective and, and Hamish and Andy and, and friends, they all share a very similar worldview. Mm. And, um, you know, they were just, it was an amazing time. But we, we would often, I would talk to Dave Cameron often about the, the idea of just, um, just to take a moment to realise mm. what's happening. Mm. Not not to us, but yeah. just being able to experience what was happening for them and being close to it. Yeah. Because it, it was – we knew something really special was happening. And because they were so gracious and, um, uh, you know, they were just so open to, to everyone being a part of it, it was mm. such a great experience for mm. us all. So, mm. yeah. What was it? What was your morning routine like going back fifteen years? Because I love nostalgia, and I, I think I, I, like fifteen years ago isn't even the nineties now. But l- going back that far, what was your life like? What were you doing in the mornings? Mm. What was what was your your day back then? Well, I had, I mean, I had younger kids then, so Tommy will tell you what that's like in the morning. <laughs> it's hell. It's, yeah, it's they, like, they, get me out of the house. They run your morning routine. Yeah, yeah. They do. <laughs> I would, um, I mean, I, I always try and get into work early because I just <laughs> feel like I can, I can get more done before other people sort of turn up. Yeah. Um, you know, normal routine, depending on if I was running a radio station, it's to listen to the breakfast show yeah. so you can have some feedback ready for them after the show. Did you always live close by to the studio? Would you drive in? Would you um, walk? Uh, I would drive in. No, I guess when I'm, I mean, in Adelaide, everything's only ever 10, 15 minutes away. You know, you're never far, far from anything in Adelaide. Um, in, in Melbourne, when I was here, I, we lived down in Beaumaris, so mm. sort of a 30 minute drive in, and mm, you'd yeah. sort of catch a couple of breakfast shows. But yeah, as a programmer, you know, your morning job is to listen to the breakfast show mm-hmm. um, and, and to have something ready for them at nine o'clock to, you know, help them. Um, or give them some feedback, and so that was it. What's called an air check? Yeah, is that was that? Were you well, doing that? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, look, um, the air checks changed a bit over the years. Not necessarily in a good way, or, or necessarily, you know, depending on the show. This idea that you need to play audio to mm. teams that are mm. well and truly developed, and most shows will know if they, you know, particularly if they're if they've been around for a while, will know if they've had a good break or a good day, mm. uh, and you don't need to go and grab the audio to to make a point of it. Um, but if you're developing in a new show, then sometimes you'll need more, not sometimes, often you'll need to play them content just to get, give them a sense of where they're at. Um, so yeah, depending on the quality of the show, it might just be a case of. I mean, I just try to. My thing was always my reaction to content that worked mm. and then just try and um, see if I can find or help them find ways to do more of that type mm. of content. Success so, leaves trails. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's that replay idea of going, okay, well, that, that worked really well and that's you at your best and let's see if we can do more of, of that. That's really it. Uh, and I, as, Because as a performer and I had many years on the air, that, that always resonated for me. I just needed to know when I was in the – in the zone and what was working for me and and you know the the little things that I, I couldn't do as well became less of an issue when you just focus on your strengths yeah so the, they're saying there's no original idea 15 years ago was there original ideas happening in radio the things you might see today that were mimicked but were invented back then i know you mentioned the fugitive 
Um, yeah, and even the fugitive is a is a an, an offshoot of an old idea. I mean, Hamish Nandy had a hundred mm. um, genuinely unique ideas. And I know that today's not just about them, but they did have a lot of really unique concepts. Um, I think, uh, I mean, that to me is at the heart of it. Um, when you're creating content, it's it's about the idea and the angle, particularly when you're playing, um, you know, in breakfast radio. With the big stories, most shows are going to land on the same story at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then it just comes down to the approach and, and how you attack it and what the angle is. And, um, you know, the good shows – I heard this this idea um, of the third thought. Have you heard of the no. – So a guy called Del Close who's a um, improv comedy legend um, and uh, did a lot of work with the SNL guys back in the 80s and 90s. And Adam Mackay on a podcast a couple of months ago was talking about this – so um, his theory was, uh, so from an improv perspective, you have the first thought in improv, which tends to be a bit knee-jerk and a bit mm-hmm. reactive and instinctive. And what he would do as an improv coach was to force the performer into the second and then into the third mm. thought. And he's, uh, the, the idea being that that third thought is where the, the richness of the idea tends to sort of to come out. And so from a, when I heard him talk about that, I thought about that from a radio perspective and a lot of breakfast shows sit in that first thought um, paradigm, which is um, here's a topic, let's do a phoner on it or mm-hmm. here's a topic, I'll do a rave about it or here's a topic, let me get a guest. Uh, and the good shows are the ones that can go, um, let's sit uncomfortably in that first thought and is there anything else we can mm. do? And then that second and third thought comes from that. It's practice around that, but it can work. What's your third thought on what we're doing in, you know, the podcast space in comparison to sort of the, the shows that you saw coming up in radio landscape? Yep. Well, I mean, I guess my third thought around this show would be um, how uh, it's, it's um, how narrow can you make um, the brief and mm. how how specific can you? I mean, there there is no longer tail than in podcasting right now, yeah. is there? I mean, yeah, there's just it's like opinions and assholes. Everyone's <laughs> got one. Podcasting <laughs> yeah. and, and opinions are the same, aren't yeah. they? Feels like everyone's got one. Especially so, Mister Ninety Seven. Love <laughs> <laughs> so opinions. If I was if I was programming this show, I, I'd be saying how how narrow can we make the brief mm. and how um, clear are you on on where you want to take this thing, mm. um, and can you be a catch-all, all things to all people interview show or do you need to narrow the brief? Um, and then we would sit in uncomfortable silence as we work our way mm. through that. And the first reaction might be, no, we're in exactly the right spot and you might do some work around, okay, well, what else could it become or mm. what might it develop into? And that's the process that, that I like to work towards. What does mainstream mean, do you think, in 2019? Well, I don't think – I mean, mainstream doesn't mean – Nearly as much as it used to. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all narrowcast, isn't it? Really, yeah. there's there's broadcast and narrowcast. And I mean, I love where media is at right now. I know it's it's hard for lots of people, and it doesn't feel like there are as many opportunities potentially. Maybe not in my industry, but um, as a consumer, um, you know, I'm interested in politics, religion, philosophy. Um, and I can get all of that. Just yeah. it's right here, exactly what I'm mm. what I'm interested in, yeah. and and um, uh, I love that. I mm. can, uh, you know, I've got three or four hours in every day where I'm either out walking or I'm in the gym or whatever, and I'm just filling my head with stuff that I'm really interested. Was that a flex yeah. that you're in the gym for three hours, three to four so, hours? Well, no, I'm either <laughs> walking the dogs good, or I'm, I'm I'm in the gym or I'm in the garden or whatever. I'm no, doing, th- there is yeah. that time where we can fill it. Yep. With a podcast. Yeah. Mm. So um, 
I, I mean, I love where it's at right now. Yeah. I, 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 and look, there's always downsides to it. I, I worry that you can you can have a media diet that is so you know biased and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. focused on the things that you believe that you miss opportunities to kind of broaden your mind a little. I listen to Ben Shapiro most days, not because I'm right leaning in my politics, it's but I, I feel like I've got to get some. Um, other side of the story um, with what's happening in the States and he seems to be about the best out of all of the conservative commentary that that at least will call a spade a spade Mm. around Trump. So um, that, you know, there's there's downsides to all of that but um, I love where it's sitting at the minute. What about when um, you were sort of at that 15 years ago, what were you listening to outside of the shows you were working with? I mean, there wasn't access to podcasts no, well, that's like there No, I mean, I was listening to radio. Um, yeah. I was literally not listening to anything other than <laughs> yeah. radio, but that was my job. I was being yeah. – I mean, I, I listened to radio. Um, I, I compartmentalised my radio listening. I listened to a lot of radio with the companies that I work for, but when I'm not, you know, in my own time, I listen to what I'm interested in. Mm. And I think that's, that's the difference now where, you know, 15 years ago you either had to wait for that show on mm. Sunday afternoon on ABC or whatever it might be or you had to buy that book or you had to wait for that speaker to come to Australia or whatever. But now it's, it's all there. Mm. And, and I think, you know, for, for you guys, um, you know, what would you have done seven or eight years ago? Mm. You, you know, you finish at Shepparton and it's like, okay, well, what am I going to use? What's my platform for self-expression and, mm. and how am I going to do that? And, you know, today there's a hundred ways you can get yeah. to that end result. I didn't think it was podcasting. I didn't think I'd be doing this mm. after radio. I wasn't on my radar as much. Well, I think part of it too is – for me, having seen where podcasting was in 2005, it feels like uh, it had peaked in this weird way. Like it's sort of, yeah. and it's what I've learned is that it's it like it takes about three false peaks before you actually get to something. Yeah. And so, I think that that that's been a learning, which is like just because something's not taking the first time, it might be too early for the actual public. Well, you, I mean, you talked before about mainstream. Um, and I, I haven't I'm doing an interview with uh, Larry Rosen, who runs a, a research company out of the states, and uh, um, next week on the podcast. And uh, um, you know, from a mainstream perspective, mm. um, the actual awareness of podcasting just as a platform is is really only starting to grow now mm. into the fifties and sixty percent. So there's a whole portion of yeah. audience out there that don't even know that that this exists do on you th- your phone. Do you think that the cash will ever? transition from radio uh, to, say, podcasting and new media or does radio have a special source that is the mainstream bit that means that you can pay talent a million dollars a year? Yeah, well, I think it's going to hold for a period of time Mm -hmm. um, for how long it's hard to know. But, I mean, I think the connected car is going to have a lot to do with it. It's, it's you know, people are talking about, um, you know, the smart speakers and that being, you know, the saviour of radio. Finally, there's a radio Mm -hmm. back in people's homes again, but Mm -hmm. which is one way to look at it. And my my view would be, well, yes, that's a frictionless experience to find the radio in your home, but it's just as easy to go and find Spotify or anything Mm -hmm. that you're interested in from a streaming perspective. Perspective. And, you know, as, as um, you know, cars become not more connected, they are already connected, but mm-hmm. as people buy new cars and upgrade their cars, you know, it's it, I'm one button away from whatever podcast I want to listen yeah. to, I can bypass the radio in, in my car. Um, so that was the last bastion in terms of a place of listening that mm-hmm. radios had um, a hold on for a long, long period of time. And that, that will change over – but because it, the change is not – it's not a – 
it feels revolutionary, but it's it's slow enough for I think mm. for people to kind of get their heads around. Okay, well, where do, how do we need to adjust and pivot? Mister ninety seven, he's uh, nineteen, mm. and the, you know, you, have you ever listened to the radio? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> it's it's such a fascinating thing because we grew up with it. Of course. It was just so native to us. And I know there was about five apps when I was working for the company um, that came out trying to get encourage people to use their phones mm. to access radio. Mm. Was there a pressure when you were, you know, in amongst it? Or some stress out, you know, saying we need to fucking work this out? Mm. Well, I mean, my view on working it out um, – always comes back to talent. So I, I think that, um, you know, radio's only hope is to um, encourage people like Hamish Blake um, and a young Hamish and Andy and, and whatever iterations of that show exist today to choose radio over podcasting or, or, or a YouTube channel or whatever it is that they might do. Do you think they'll ever become the same thing? Like, Yeah, uh, I think yeah. – and, and you're starting to see that and there's plenty of people on, on my podcast over the last couple of months that are doing, you know, great video content and mm-hmm. making uh, – and have audiences on a bunch of different platforms and, and really don't think – um, much about it. They just—it's mm. just part of what they. Well, my audience is here, here, and here, so I'll be here, here, and here, and I'll mm. do a bit of video, and I'll write a blog, and I'll talk on the radio, and it all sort of comes together. But you know, um, what's happened in the states uh, is that radio stopped investing in talent, and and if that happens here in Australia, then the decline will happen really quickly. And what worries me at the moment is that there is no young show coming through, changing things up like. Um, there was 10 to 15 years ago mm. on radio in Australia at the moment. And all of the shows that are on the mm. air are fantastic and heritage and we've heard them over the years and they're all familiar voices and we love them. You know, your Dave Hughes and, and, and um, uh, you know, and Fifi and, and all of these presenters who are amazing. Mm. But, you know, um, Fifi was doing a national drive show on Triple M at 28. Mm. Yeah. Well, where's the next Fifi and where's the next young comedian that is going to think of the world differently to how, you know, I do? Yeah, well, I think that the the reason why I think routines are interesting is because it will then somewhat dictate what people are listening to. Like I remember growing up listening to The Cage in the Morning, The Shebang in the Afternoon, and then finishing it on off with Love Song Dedications at <laughs> night. Richard <laughs> Mercer. Richard Mercer. Richard Mercer. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think that Did that, that work for you, the, the love, love Song Dedications? Yeah, well, I a- remember they had a site where you could actually put in uh, like your love song requests mm. and me as an emo teen would just sort of listen, <laughs> like actually had a clock oh, Weren't listening with your girlfriend at the no, time. No, 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 no. I had no one. Had no one. I was <laughs> might have been a power move of some sort, Josh. Let's put the radio on, darling. But the um, yeah. I, so I, I do wonder though whether the the ra- radio, the way that it is, the mainstreamness of it, whether we can innovate, whether we can have fresh uh, perspectives in regards to you know, the restrictions, like just the fact that there's licenses and there's certain things you can say, there's certain things mm. you can't say. Do you do you see that as a limiting factor? Oh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. We can say and do whatever we want. And I heard um, Russell Brand talking to Joe Rogan the other week uh, and, you know, Russell's got his own podcast, Joe's got his, and um, they're making their own content without having to answer to anyone and that's yeah. what they love most about it. Um, Joe's got about four people. 
in his team. Yeah. Which it's yeah. the biggest podcast in the world. Yeah. So he, he you know, he's, yeah. and, and you see his weekly guest list and it's the most, you know, broad range of people you could imagine, but it's, they're his choices. Yeah. So yes, there is a playbook that lots of shows and performers have to sort of work around in the mainstream mm-hmm. space. And, um, and narrow by design doesn't tend to work um, when you're trying to get the largest audience you can. But um, that, I mean, it's funny. When we, so the other show that I had uh, that I was around when it was successful was Kyle and Jack. And that idea, when we launched it, was around Breakfast with the Stars and it being a celebrity focused um, breakfast show, which was new at the time. And we had to play in that space because Merrick and Rosso were doing bre- uh, breakfast in Sydney and, you know, we needed something different. So this single focused idea around celebrity pop culture was probably the last narrow content play. And um, the irony is it becomes the biggest show in mm, Australia, yeah. but it had a single idea. And, um, yeah, it's it's harder to do that um, these days in broadcast. Yeah. Narrowcast, obviously, it's the, you know, once again, getting back to your point, it's okay, well, how, you know, how defined can you make this concept and, mm. you know, what does it exactly do? Well, you were talking with Clive Dickens on Game Changers about uh, the terrorist attack in New Zealand mm. and how – uh, the gunman was able to film and put it out. Perform on, to his audience. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Horrible. so I was just saying, Mr. 97's auntie was in that um, video. Really? Oh God. She w- yeah, you could see her in the in vision on the of street. Her. She nearly got hit by a car. Jesus. It's crazy. Yeah. And so the the that idea of open broadcasting yeah. uh, happening on Facebook, there's so much sort of policy uh, with radio and what you can put up yep. and all that sort of thing. Do you think that it will meet in the middle? Do you think there will be governance that uh, these media companies like Facebook will have to start to? Yeah, well, either Facebook have to come to us mm. or, 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 or this, you know, we, we open ourselves up a little to be a little more um, uh, less restrictive in what we can do and say. I would think the latter more than the former, but... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it has to happen at some point. The, the playing field's not even close to being level. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and this idea that Facebook is a platform and not a, not a media company, they edit to the mm. – yeah. the algorithm is all about the edit. Mm. Mm. It's edited to exactly what you're interested in. And, and uh, so that, that's, that's crazy. It yeah. has to change at some point. And you hear in the US as well, like the biggest radio shows, like there's the Howard Stearns, but there's even like Bobby Bones who have all been wrapped up in FCC ah, controversy. So what is the – without becoming a, a nanny state and, uh, you know, uh, censoring and things like that, what place do you think that government should play in the content that goes to public? Well um, – what role are they playing at the moment? So on my phone, I can have Howard Stern and Joe Rogan. Mm-hmm. And Joe can use the C word and and can talk about essentially whatever he wants and yeah. Howard can't. Mm-hmm. Um, but they both look the same on my phone. Yeah. So what, how, what, what's what's going on? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. And so do you think that it's – it is uh, – which one's going to move, do you think? Which one's in the, the right position? Well, it feels like um, – it feels like Facebook and Twitter certainly – and Instagram are, are are about to get some structure and rules around them that mm-hmm. that they haven't had up until now, and it and it's at a government level. And you talk to anyone that knows about this, and it's it was always going to happen from a government level. It's mm-hmm. essentially, um, y- you know, these things are 
um, they're just too big and too unwieldy and there has to be some structure around them, I think, yeah. at some point. When you uh, finished being an employee and went uh, freelancing, what did that routine look like uh, and what was, what was your frame of mind day one solo, yeah. Craig? <laughs> Um, that's a good question. Um, I had uh, I had a good conversation with Irene Hume, who was um, uh, worked at. So Irene is now head of music at the Hit Network, and had worked at Nova and ARN. I think she may have been fired from ARN and had been out of the picture for about six months. And she said to me, I, uh, and this was just in passing, it didn't, uh, wouldn't, uh, um, I wasn't working, but I still got up at six thirty every morning. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that's. That's an interesting point. And I, I like structure and ritual. Mm-hmm. So I got up early um, and I, you know, I would train, mm-hmm. I would write. Um, I mean, I had six months where I couldn't work in Australia mm-hmm. anyway. So there was a period there where I, I just had to sort of sit on my hands. Was it a, do you think that was a bit of a blessing? Did it give you a little bit of a get out of jail free card to get your shit together? Possibly. Um, I didn't feel like I had to get my shit together. I mean, mm. it was, you know, the thing about well, it's a me, big change. I guess it's, yeah. a, it's a huge change where it's like... Uh, I just, just assumed the phone was going to ring. Yeah, jo- sure. I, I, I just was thinking my... my Fuck, you're relying on a landline, Craig. No one's got them anymore. <laughs> Text message, someone call me. No, and, and it's funny because Marty talked about it on the podcast on the first interview. He said, you know, the phone didn't ring for three years, Craig. And, yeah. you know, he's, he's the number one drive host in Australia and sometimes these things happen. Um, and the phone didn't ring because there was no work that anyone could give me that mm. I would have wanted to do anyway. Yeah. Um, but I just assumed that the phone would ring and mm. then I realised, okay, I'm just going to have to go out and do my own thing mm. here. Um, and, you know, thank God I did. But, yeah, yeah I had a, a – you have to understand how, you know, a 65, 70-hour work week where, you know, you're spinning so fast mm. and so hard and when that stops, you, you know, and you've had 10 years of it at yeah. that pace, it takes a long time for you to – I find it down. so interesting the coping mechanisms of like of that transition because it's not like one of those things where it's you know um, my girlfriend worked at a company for four years like the cycle in which people stay at companies yeah. is so much smaller now mm. four years felt like a big deal and mm. for her to decide to leave was a probably took a year it was probably mm. th- you know in the third year there was a whole year where she was thinking about it so that whiplash of of leaving I can imagine. There's a bunch of personal work. Did you have to go to a therapist? Did you have to do any of that stuff? No, I didn't. But I, it was all around ego. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to understand. So when you when you resign or when you leave in a job like that one, your phone blows up for a day, you know, and all of these people saying nice things. Um, Guy Dobson's just gone through it at the start of the year. You know, I can't believe how many you know, text messages and whatever. Same yeah. for me. And then all from Jules Lutton. <laughs> 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 motivational quote. And then. <laughs> 48 hours after, the phone stops. That's yeah. it. And everyone has moved on, as they should. Yeah. Uh, That's why a good cut through. That's a good recommendation. If someone leaves a job, wait more than 48 yeah, hours for yeah, the text. That, wait two weeks. Yeah. Have real cut yeah, through. Yeah, real cut through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get, out, get out of the message war. Absolutely. And, and send it two weeks later. So there's so then you go, okay, um, that's now longer, no longer happening. And, and then coupled with um, – so I might send an email to someone on my new email address mm. and don't I don't get a reply for 24 hours. And I'm mm. thinking, what the fuck? I mean, yeah. I, for 10 years, if I send an email to someone, they're going to reply straight away because yeah, yeah. it's me on the other end. Yeah, yeah. So uh, understanding that 
And I always felt like I had a, a fair understanding of the fact that it wasn't me, it was the title. So yeah. people were nice to me because I had a title that meant that I could m- potentially move you from Shepherd and into yeah. Melbourne. So you he never nice did. to me. He never, he never <laughs> did. And I uh, so he just built his own wall. But, <laughs> but, but um, so I think I understood that. But when it, when it actually happens, yeah. it's, it's really quite confronting. The, the picker is now picking himself. And yeah. so I guess that's yeah, the transition, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, um, you've read a lot of Seth Godin stuff. Yes, I have. And, um, you know, he's sort of been the one vying for picking yourself for a long time. How mm. much of that sort of the industries where you're needing to be picked, are, are they still in existence? Do you think it will run its course or they'll always be there in some capacity where there is someone at the top saying – and making the decisions. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, probably less and less moving mm. forward, but you know, there there will be um, from a mainstream media perspective. Yes, there will be people like um, you know, like Lorne Michaels and these sorts that will be the the the, the final um, decision maker, the kingmakers and the gatekeepers. Yeah, the, the gatekeepers. Um, yeah, and, and but you know, those gatekeepers are, are becoming less and less important, aren't they? Mm. Uh, as we sort of move into a different phase, and that's not to say that the, you know, uh, and it's interesting. You talk to people who are, um, have these incredible followings on on Instagram and Twitter, and um, you know, their goal is still a mainstream TV show, or mm. I want to do mainstream radio. So there's still some appeal in it. Um, but it's um, yeah, it's part of a much broader, more interesting ecosystem than, than 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Do, you th- do you think it's a result of more people having to pick themselves? They're becoming traction in people picking themselves, finding success that it is sort of driving in this way, or do you think it's landscape, you know, technology that's shifting it all? Yeah, and it, and it depends on what you're picking yourself for as well. I mean, f- for us, you know, making content and, and content marketing is a natural place for us to, to play in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm if I'm consulting to uh, uh, businesses that are not in media, I'm not going to do necessarily a podcast to sort of demonstrate what I'm capable of, yeah. but it made sense to, you know, have that as a, a sort of a, a lead to introduce other markets to what I could do. And same for you guys as well. I mean, you're making content and you make content with, with the, um, the, the company that, that you have. So kind of it's a natural sort of, uh, um, I guess, progression to have this as, a, mm. as an arm of it. You mentioned ego. What was your relationship uh, with ego a few years ago versus now? Um. Yeah, it's uh, I'm 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 much more um, thick-skinned around um, rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sent an email to someone the other week uh, around an idea that I had and didn't get a reply. Um, that would have if, you know four years ago I would have been oh, damn you know yeah. what am I doing wrong here yeah. and now it's like I'm just um, you know you got to have some irons in the fire and you got to yeah, yeah. Um, so much more thick-skinned. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know my skill set is much broader now as well. Ironically, I mean I, I was you know really narrow around being a, a, a content director and then a head of content and making decisions in those spaces. But um, you know this time has forced me, not forced me, but it's allowed me to think differently about um, content creation and try to really understand it and empathise with it from um, the perspective of the performer. Mm. So you know. If you think about the Game Changers podcast, it's now, I don't know, 100 hours of one-on-one conversations with people that make content. And it's unbelievably difficult to do. The mm-hmm. good ones make it sound easy, but it's incredibly confronting and you're vulnerable when you're in that space of making something that 
is designed to make to make someone laugh or designed to connect in some sort of um, unique way. And um, you know, so I wanted to really try and understand it as best I could. Mm. Um, and you can't do that when you're working sixty, seventy hours mm. a week, and you've got you know. Uh, I don't know, presentations you're making to the board and 400 other executive functions across the course mm. of any week. So I've had a chance to sort of sit down and really think about, you know, how I wanted to – the role I could play as a as a coach and mentor for, for talented people. Um, so Did you see it as a fun branding exercise for yourself? and The game changes? Yeah, just I guess your journey yeah. now. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I was always – I loved the pointy end of it. I loved the content creation part of it. I, I'm, I'm naturally creative. I love being – give me a small room, a whiteboard and three or four people with an open mind mm-hmm. and, and we can um, – that's, that's me. We can't get our whiteboard up the fucking <laughs> yeah. stairs, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally – Can we write on this? No, we well. Definitely not. We mate. actually have Don't. it currently in the garage and we're working on a system, a pulley system, so we can put it up onto the, <laughs> onto the third floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's a slight mistake. Um, so I, I love that. I mean, I yeah. love the creative uh, process. Um, I and at the end of the day, I'm I'm always constantly amazed at people that can communicate in a really effective way, whether it's through comedy or or commentary, whatever it might be. Um, because I'm not naturally that way. I'm stumbly and bumbly, and I kind of you know have to sort of arm and arm my way through most sentences. And I hear people that are erudite and and really clear. And, Erudite's a good word. Uh, erudite. And, and and I think to myself, wow, that's an unbelievable skill. Mm-hmm. You know. And um, so it does come from a place of uh, of um, respect, and and I'm really interested in in then you know potentially helping people that haven't quite discovered that in themselves yet. Mm. And seeing if I can kind of you know encourage them to be more than than what they are. The people, um, some of the things you may have helped uh, the on-air talent with, you know, some of the issues they faced, the confidence things. Do you think you faced any of those in in this new space? Um, yeah, I you know because um, I'd say you'd have like this hyper awareness to sort of understand what they yeah, are and yeah. oh, fuck, this I'll- is what. Yeah, no, I'm really good at helping others and not great at listening to my own yeah. issues. But, you know, that, that's yeah. pretty standard, isn't yeah. it? So, you know, yeah. you, you, if you could be your own coach, but Seth talks about being, a, you know, being your own CEO and, if you know, if a CEO talked to you the way you talk to yourself yeah. in your own mind, you'd mm-hmm. sack them sort of thing. And so, yeah, I, I, there are times where I think, um, you know, what am I doing here and why, why aren't I doing more? But I think that's just part of who I am naturally I'm not mm. I've never really been co- comfortable with just being in a space at any given time it's always been about going okay well I'm here now and can I keep getting better mm. um, th- I thank God because I think the alternative is is um, well people pass you by and you end yeah. up being obsolete don't you yeah high performance what is a high performer to you in this landscape um, so uh, one of the great um, quotes or metaphors that I've heard in and around the creative uh, space is um, Tom Papa, who's a who's a US comedian, and uh, he talks about comedians who open the shop every day. And he said that um, you know you open the shop, and some days the shop it's really busy, lots mm-hmm. of customers, you make lots of money, and there are other days when you open the shop and no one turns up. Mm. But good comedians go through the process of opening the shop and doing the work, i.e. putting pen to paper and Mm. creating and writing. Um, And I think that I could draw a through line with every single high-performance team and performer that I've seen along the way, and all of them open the shop. They Mm. they all do the work. Um, And the work um, is where where you generate your – your energy and your confidence from 
And sometimes it's really hard. You know, mm. sometimes you just, you've got nothing to say and nothing mm. good to do, but you've got to get that blank piece of paper out and just start putting showing it up. Yeah, showing yeah. up. We've yeah. opened a physical shop, well, haven't we? <laughs> but the daily talk show is exactly yeah. that. That's a ma- and we talked about this last time around. It's a massive commitment. You mm. put daily on the front yeah, of your yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I mean, as I said, I thought about it. Oh, maybe I could do the daily game changes. And then, oh, I'm not ready for that commitment. <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your relationship uh, with money and did it change from going from an employee uh, to working for yourself? Uh, yeah, I flew Jetstar to Melbourne today, um, which was awesome, versus um, being at the, the pointy end at SCA. Um, look, um, my relationship with money, I, I, I don't really have one that's particularly healthy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, uh, I've always you know, had a reasonable salary and mm-hmm. now I'm in a situation where you know I've got enough clients that I can be comfortable with yep. whatever decisions I want to make. But... Um, yeah, I'm probably – I don't have any expenses really yeah, yeah. other than if I'm flying to Canada or New Zealand mm-hmm. or South Africa, though, that's taken care of from um, the client end of the, the spectrum. But um, there are occasions when I um, I need to spend a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Was it a big learning like going – because I remember working at SCA and they would release like – because SCA is a publicly listed yeah. company, but you'd hear, oh, here Dobbo's on 850K. It's like, <laughs> fuck, I'm getting 55. Where the yeah. fuck's my money? I was on money? 50 in Shepherds. And, yeah. and so <laughs> did you um, – was it, was it a shock and do you look back and say, uh, I should have done X, Y and Z financially? Did you leave – when you left uh, radio, uh, was there a sense that you – um, needed to get straight back into it or and, and work? Yeah. Um, no, I didn't need to um, – you know, I'm married and we, we have, um, you know, a good setup in terms of my wife's got an amazing business, so we're lucky in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we I earned a lot of money for mm-hmm. a, a few years there uh, and we um, – but but I you know I just don't I didn't never really thought too much about it. The yeah. the, the work was too all consuming to sort of, <laughs> um, you know. Yes, you could have nice holidays and and um, have a nice house, but outside of that, you're never thinking when you're in that mm. role. Yeah, there's a drama in Sydney. Carl's about to leave, but hey, yeah. I'm happy because I'm earning a half a million yeah, dollars yeah, a yeah. year. It's just, well, yeah. I mean, it's neither here nor there. I we, mean, and we, when you get to that point yeah. when you earn a lot, um, if if um, it's quite, you know, it really does your motivation becomes, well, do I actually like doing this job or is it just about the money? And it was always about the work. Were you happy? Yeah, no, I loved the work. Mm. I really did. I mean, we had some unbelievably difficult times. I mean, we, we went, you know, we lost Colin Jackie O. Um, and you take that personally. Yeah, I did, absolutely. I felt like I had to take it personally. Mm. Um, I mean, the reality is that it was a very different company with a chairman, you know, that, that didn't really understand media and a CEO who had a lot of pressure from a board that were expecting, you know, particular things. And It was in Shepparton. Yeah, yeah, he was too, wasn't he? Was he was at our yeah, function, uh, sausage right. sizzles. Yeah, <laughs> lovely man, a re- really good guy. And um, but they, um, I mean, I wasn't involved in any of the Kyle and Jack discussions, any of the the negotiations. So that we'll put that on the table. There was no mm. conversation between myself or Kyle or Andrew until Andrew Hawkins until the day that he was about to announce on the air. I said, "Are you sure? Can, can we turn this around?" But that was the only conversation mm. I had. But I was head of content mm. when Kyle Sandlin's leaves Austereo. So therefore yeah. it has to be my responsibility. And I, I said something the other day, you know, I, I wrote a letter, I never sent it, but, you know, I was prepared to leave off the back of it. But, um, you know, had my mind changed. 
Um, and I still struggle with it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not struggle as in I don't, I'm not rocking in a corner, but I, I, it's, not a, it's not something you want to have next to your mm-hmm. CV. Do you think you took the fall for it unfairly? I don't know. I haven't thought. I mean, I'm sure there would be lots of people that would go, that guy mm. that you're talking to right now, yeah. he's the one that fucked up SCA. Well, you imagine <laughs> the way that you read it on radio today, you imagine it's you and Sanderlands in a room. He says, How much? Yeah, you want yeah. you say, Fuck off, mate. He goes, I'll go to the other station. You say, no, yeah, Do it and give it a real fucking good go. Yeah. No, that, that, that didn't even get close to happening. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm a part of an executive team and, mm. and the, that decision was made whilst I was there. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, uh, you know, we put jewels into breakfast and, mm. and, you know, when you're in that situation, you, you try and think positively about, okay, well, we can rebuild. And it was terrible. We just got absolutely creamed. Mm. Um, so that was difficult. But I still loved the, the work, though. Mm. I still yeah. loved the work. But, um, yeah, it was a really tough time. How do you... Uh, when other people have made a decision for you, how as a leader do you lead based on that where you might have a personal opinion that's different to um, the whole executive team? Well, that was, I mean, normally any decision that's made around content, I would be making that decision. Mm-hmm. So the, the the unique situation there was that because it was a contract and there was a breakdown in terms of terms and amount, um, that was at a higher level than mine. I had mm-hmm. to kind of go with – I had to be a part of the solution, not the not the contract negotiations. Mm-hmm. And my job was to go, well, find a show that can replace these guys. Yeah. Um, and um, so there were very few content decisions, if any, that mm-hmm. I, I wasn't making um, on behalf of the company. I, there'd be times where we'd have to kind of compromise on some decisions, but mm-hmm. most of them were mine. Did you, ever, did you ever speak to Carl and Jack after – they transitioned? Um, after as in, yeah. W- Maybe w- even now like that you're not working I've, at SCA. I've spoken to Kyle a lot since then um, and, um, uh, you know, time – I'm not sure how – we haven't gone into the specifics of what he yeah. was thinking and yeah. what we were thinking. Mm. But, um, you know, we had a really good relationship um, up until um, – the whole way through, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So there was never ever a problem with him personally. It was it was just a question of you know here's what he wants and here's what we need as a company moving forward. Yeah, I guess the that's the hard thing is it's the towing the company line on it versus mm. your personal because you, you're mentioning you felt sort of personally were you personally affected based on the executive's decision more than the actual. Kyle and Jack move. Do you well, think? I mean, the the where I was affected was, um, you, you know, we had a number one show mm-hmm. that was delivering number one ratings to our biggest radio station, yeah. and my job was pretty easy. It was just to get the show on the air every day because they were they were so brilliant and are so brilliant at, at, at doing the rest. So it's gone from that to well, now let's compete against them yeah. and start again. Uh, and it's a completely different model. And as you know, with radio, the, the relationship, if you've got it with your audience, they're going to move to wherever you go, and yeah. as he had with his audience. Um, so we were on a hiding to nothing right from the moment, you know, we, we parted ways. But you had a Spice Girl. I had a Spice Girl, yeah. <laughs> and that was, I mean, it was just, uh, look, thinking, looking back now, it was just a, uh, a really difficult time. We were making these decisions in October, November. Mm. Were these you third know, ideas, do you think? Like as in <laughs> the, the uh, breakfast shows that you were bringing, I know that you probably got to three within the, the time, three different shows. Uh, what, yeah, what was your thoughts around how you built out the ensemble. Yeah, to, to compete against Kyle and Jack, yeah. which is almost an impossible thing to do. Yeah. So we thought, okay, well, if it's a duo, 
the Kyle and Jack are a duo, then we have to do something that's different. So mm-hmm. let's build an ensemble cast. Let's see if we can bring some big names to the show, being Mel B, which was a disaster. Sophie and Jules were fantastic together, mm-hmm. and Merrick um, was, uh, um, you know, the, the th- them as a three-hander potentially could have worked. We mm-hmm. made it really messy to start with. And then once the narrative is created, which is two days, two days a loser, Kyle and Jackie are, are unbeatable, mm-hmm. then you, you're screwed. Once that narrative is is in play, which it was within, you know, at the end of the first survey, it was then, mm-hmm. you know, just a question for everyone to sort of follow the bouncing ball on how bad can it get. So surveys, what's what's your take on them? Because it seems like. When you, people are doing well, surveys are the best fucking thing ever. Yeah. When you're not doing well, surveys are rigged and they're bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you try and sit somewhere in the middle, so they're never as bad as they seem, and never as good as they they seem either. Yeah. And and I'm I'm careful of rhetoric around. Hey, we've just gone up two points, and therefore yeah. that must be because we had these amazing eight weeks yeah. in the air. I mean, I, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, radio habits and and it is habit forming. Um, they they are ingrained, and and mm. if unless the format that you're listening to or the the show that you're listening to dramatically changes in some way, shape, or form, mm. you're not going to change that habit because mm. people don't think about radio like we think about it. I mean, it's just mm. background; it's a commodity. Yeah. I've had um, a, a friend who's just finished up working with a radio station in a sales capacity, and he used to just say to me, "Sell an air over here, mate." Like. In terms of what comes back and what they're sort of spitting to the clients in terms of numbers and it's hard to quantify when you're not seeing numbers tick over like a podcast or, you know, the analytics aren't there, it's not as rich. And so can you tell me what is in these surveys, how they get done? What Like, do you know? I don't really – I'm not really across it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it would be a long and boring um, 15 minutes if you want to go there, Tommy, but essentially... Damn it. It, it was my first thought. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you know, part of the issue with with, um, with the way surveys are collated these days is that you've got people that are given a book, um, essentially a survey book, and asked to, to, to fill it out over a, a period of four weeks. Mr. 97, do you know what a book is? Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, got good. that one. Yeah. And um, here's a pen, here's a book. Um, uh, uh, let's get these stickers on the book, the stations that you listen to. So if, you know, if it's my daughter, it's Triple J, maybe Hit 107 and, and Fresh FM. Um, and uh, whenever you're listening to a station, mark the quarter hour. The book goes into the top, top drawer of your uh, kitchen cupboard. You grab it at the end of the week when the guy knocks on the door and says, if you filled out the book, you go, oh, fuck, I haven't filled out the book. You tick, yeah. tick, tick, make up a few numbers. Did you ever get sent a no, book? No, that's not what everyone does. Yeah. But for a lot of people, it's, but oh, shit, book. I've got that. Oh, of course. Well, it's a lot. In, in, tech, in tech, there's uh, heaps of work around automating uh, uh, like time, uh, working out how much people spend yeah. on things, time management. Um, t- uh, what is it called when you uh, – uh, filling out a form for time. What is what time is sheets? It? Time yeah, sheets. Yeah, yeah. Automating that because they yeah. worked out that I think it was Deloitte said that it was like they were off by about 20 percent mm. if you do it manually. So there's a huge variance in uh, what is actually happening. What might be unconscious. So then becomes not necessarily just what comes through the speakers, but what fucking billboards are they? Yeah, seeing? of course. So yeah. yeah, and what they remember from the week. So on Sunday afternoon, you get the knock at the door. You go, yeah, well, I, I'm, I know I listened to Hit 107 in the morning. <laughs> so, and I'm roughly in the car. So I tick tick. And, and that's not to say that this information is wrong. It's normally based on 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 um, you know perception more so than I've got the book with me the whole time and I've yeah. just listened for another quarter mm. hour. Here's another tick. 
So there, there's partly that. But but if you look at the numbers overall, they reflect where the radio stations mm. are at generally. Mm. I mean, you have the, the stations that have hi, uh, larger audiences, so higher cumes, stations like Nova and the Hit Network and Kiss, because they play songs on higher rotation. So that's the, they, they have larger audiences. And then you have... You know, the AM talk stations with longer listening because you've got audiences that that are, you know, traditional radio listeners that listen for longer periods of time. So it all makes sense. But, you know, the, the process um, – I mean, the PPM process in the States is, an, is a disaster. I mean, disaster. It's a nightmare. You know, you've got this – you're essentially – you've got a, 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 um, a little sounder. Like uh, a listening device type yeah, thing, Yeah, clipped it? to yeah. your, your – your, uh, like a money belt type thing yeah. here. Jeez. And you can imagine, you know, 15 to 24-year-old females, can you wear this thing around no. here for the next eight <laughs> weeks over summer? Yeah. I don't think so. It's like 40 Fitbits stuck yeah. into one thing. Yeah. So so if, if we were sitting here and I was wearing a PPM, a people meter, something, something people meter, and there was a radio playing, that would that would pick up whatever radio w- was, mm. was on. It wouldn't be wow. the station I was listening to. I could walk into a shop yeah, and, and, you know, Smooth is playing and that's the station. That's I remember um, I, my mate got a um, – on on top of his TV was this box and I said, what's that? And I remember the rumour was in and he's like, yeah, this guy came to the front door and said he plug it in, put it into your TV and it recorded what he was watching, what channel he was yeah, watching. Yeah, so that's so a much better – From from a content perspective, qualitative research – uh, I remember when I was uh, digital content for FIFA and Jules, Sam Cav talking about benchmarks and the importance of benchmarks mm. and how they go in uh, qualitative sort of surveys. How much did you actually use qualitative research to determine what you did from a content perspective? Well, I mean, it's a combination of a bunch of factors. I, I would take um, what the audience is saying and, and I would try and merge that with what the performers are trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would try and meet in the middle. So for me with shows, it's always a case of what, try, what, what kind of radio show are you trying to make here and how close are we to that? Um, and then when you're making that show, let's see what the audience says about it, let's see what resonates and let's see what, what, what they're, what they're um, connecting with and let's do more of that and less of the rest. So um, I think if you just brought one form of research, which is yep. that they say X, Y, Z about us, so let's just do yep. that. It has to, it's a creative process yep. and I just haven't seen any successful show um, be successful um, on anything other than their own terms. Mm. And and so you have to find out what those terms are. I mean, if we had asked Hamish and Andy to do heavier, real, authentic kind of, um, you know, primal content, um, they may have said yes, mm. but it would have been the worst thing for them to do. Yeah. They, were, they, were, they were an escape show. They were just there for fun and, and, and um, as, a, as a relief. Mm. Um, uh, you know, so you've got to you've got to find out what the performer wants yeah. as a starting point. And look, you can do that with really good, successful shows that know what they're about. And then if you're developing a show, it's a case of going, okay, well, let's hear what you can make, and mm. and let's see if we can kind of develop that into something. Do you have a a few favourite questions that you can chuck out at any? team and get a gauge on how they're going from if a they team, hate each other yeah, from a team dynamic <laughs> point of view but also from are they thinking about the right things yeah i think i mentioned to you before we did a um so that the thing that i would do with this show for instance i would do the p4 marketing mm-hmm. model so um people position product design promotion um and you can use this um with whatever product you're taking to market whether it's a radio show or a podcast or a you've created a new sneaker um who is the audience where are we positioned in the market what do we do that is unique to our show, and then how do we promote ourselves? And 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 obviously you can you can have as many as much detail as you can around those four elements, 
but it, it's the starting point. It's the, mm. it's, you know, are we on the same page? Mm. There's the page. The page is, here's our audience. Um, here's, here's where we're positioned. So Kyle and Jackie O are Breakfast with the Stars. They're celebrity focused. They're, they're, so that was our starting mm. point. Mm-hmm. So everything went through that filter. How do we reflect that in the product of the show? Well, we'll do pop quiz twice a morning. We'll do mm. Jackie's own news three times a morning. We'll talk to the biggest stars. So that kind. And then how do we promote ourselves? Well, obviously, if you're with a big media company, you've got TV and billboards, but what are we doing on social media? So that idea is a really good starting point. It's a really good way to go. And you could do that with this show. Yeah. Mm. So who's your audience? And yeah. if, you, if, if you're saying, well, I think it's a 25 to 44-year-old male and mm. they're in this headspace and you're thinking something else, then – you know, sort your shit out. <laughs> what, what, what I do love though is it's – I mean you could do that at the very start of anything. You could work out for a business what's your mission, what's your vision, what's your values. Opening the shop though gets you to a point where stuff becomes more clear and I feel like if we were to do the P4P now – We've got so much data. And yeah. I was listening to your episode with Christian Hull, which I loved and what I love about Christian is he's got this – part where you know he's he's so talented he but he also says oh i don't know how this is happening yeah. you know like but, but don't you think that's awesome, a universe i think that's a universal thing like you speak to hamish and there's there is a undescribable thing that all these people yeah. have which when i've sat down with him i'm like yeah no but seriously what it like yeah. come on i know that you've got the shtick like yeah, it almost yeah. plays into <laughs> and and there's also the other side of it which is uh, even though it looks seamless for mm. all these people, like you see, like I remember uh, making a short film on Christian Hull and seeing how he he would say, oh, I don't care about all this sort of stuff or these things don't concern me. But then when it came to publishing, he taught me so much in the social media thing of just like it wasn't even necessarily on his radar, mm. but it was just, oh, this is what I do. We need yeah. to post it this way. You should be using this link, yeah. not that link. Yeah. So what is it? Is there some sort of magic that is out there that we can't understand, that we can't describe? Uh, I think it's trial and error. I really do. I think you've got to, as Christian said, you've just got to start making stuff and mm. see what works for you. And, um, you, you know, that you talk about questions you would ask of individuals and of shows, um, you know, skills are transferable. Mm. Knowledge is something that you build up over time and through experience. But talent is innate you know, whatever it is that you have, you, you're going to have more of it the older you get. So you better work out what that is. So for me as a, a young radio person, um, I worked out that I was I was pretty good from a creative perspective. So I used that as the single sort of um, bullet point for my work, mm. both on the air and then as an assistant content director and then out into programming. I, I, I And I, I really played to that forehand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so – you know, through trial and error, you've got to work out what it is that you have that is unique to your own skill set. Mm. Um, and that, that talent element, you know, if you're naturally curious or if you're a uh, – and you see it in people. Some people are just um, – yeah, some people are innately curious. Some mm. people are innately competitive. Some mm. people um, – you know, someone like a Kyle Sandlin just has this gift of the gab. He's mm. just fast on his feet. So how do we use that in a way that's useful with whatever platform you're using to, to promote yourself? From – you chat with Christian, you know, there's, there might be a piece that he's not identifying. It's that thing happening. You know, he's showing up. Can, can you see with Christian, do you think you could analyse, do the P4P and actually have 
make some sense of it all? Yeah, I think so. Well, and, and I think once you've made sense of it, yes, I do. And I think he's made sense of it. He just has a way of, I think it's part of his persona is mm. to kind of downplay um, how it's working for him. But I, I mean, and if you look at his scenario, it's, it's um, you know, he's got a live show that's working. Yeah. He's got a book coming out. He's got a podcast with numbers that between the three of us, we would, you know, give our left arms for. <laughs> um, so he's unbelievably successful, but I think he's putting it through the filter of, you know, I'm kind of making this up as I go. I think that's a persona. Yeah, um, it's more relatable. Well, it's also yeah. I think that there is also a lot of unknown to it as well. Uh, do you ever call radio stations? Are you ever a punter? Do you ever I get used on to the, be? Yeah, yeah. I don't. don't You're prize big, Craig. No, no, no. As a kid, <laughs> as a kid, oh, there was a sports show in Adelaide that I would ring as a young lad, um, and uh, and then there was a, a a night show that I would ring and get my favourite song played. But no, That's I haven't great, ra- yeah. rung a radio station for years. Can you listen to radio without having the content? Mind on and th- and deconstructing it all. Um, it more so now. My relationship with radio is different to what it was yeah. a few years ago. I'm much more dispassionate about the work mm-hmm. um, than I was, and and I'm a much better programmer because of it. Mm-hmm. So with that dispassion comes um, objectivity, yeah. which is the number one thing I can bring to any show. Is um, you know when you're in it, working on a product or pr- programming a product. You're you're wanting it to sound a particular way. You're yeah. hoping for the best. It's like a you know it's a it's like a child that you're wanting the the best. You know, it's, it, does it sound this way? I hope it does. And I can come into any situation, you know, from a, a in my role now and and listen to it more objectively. Yeah. So you're so detached. That's why I think the power is in what you're doing now. Like you've there's anyone can be detached, but being attached to something for so long, being in those teams to now be out of it to then, I think that's like a superpower. From yeah, well, possibly. I mean, and I, um, I find myself emotionally attaching to shows that I work with. It's hard mm-hmm. not to. It's yeah. hard not to, um, you know, end up rooting for the people that you're helping. Mm-hmm. And, and But that changes the way you hear things. And the more emotionally attached you become, the less helpful you are. Mm-hmm. So what they're wanting, I think, and when I say they from an on-air presenter is, they just want someone that can um, – that can kind of clear the air and, and help make sense of what they're doing. Am I on the right track here? Yeah. And, and um, yeah, that, I think that's, that's certainly part of what I do. With the, the roles that you have with, say, um, your Canadian clients and things like that, mm. what does that actually look like? Are you going on Google Hangouts and chatting to them? Do you go actually, you know, into their uh, radio stations? Yeah. Um, well, I go to Canada and mm. um, on a, you know, a couple of times a year. Um, and the rest of the time it's on Skype or, yeah. or um, so, you know, look, the only problem with Canada is their breakfast shows happen at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so, sure. so it's that um, sleep for four hours, get up at two. Uh, wow. okay, right. So is it how regular are you chatting to them? Um, well, I've got uh, maybe eight shows that I, that I coach in Canada. So oh, that's cool. weekly, fortnightly, yeah. essentially rotating around the, the – Do you listen to all of their content? Yeah. So yeah. I have a platform where I can listen whenever I want. So oh, I don't have right. to I, – I can – what is that platform app. called? It's called Radio Monitors. Ah, yeah, they have that at SEA yeah, too. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. I was it's talking so about good. getting a log here. What do you have to do to get one? Uh, it's probably well, you have to you have to pay for yeah, it. It's yeah, it's like a license and all that sort of well, shit. Yeah. You can buy some other stuff, mate. Yeah. You don't need a radio yeah. log <laughs> in the studio. <laughs> Craig, thanks so much for coming on, mate. Yeah, no worries at all. I love um, you know a couple of radio heads. You know, we've both worked in this environment yeah. in the radio environment, and you know looked up to you and what you're doing. Oh, and thank it's, you. It's really nice that you're showing support to create like us that are 
taking a chance. Yeah, oh, but well, as I said to you before, the you know before coming on the podcast the other week, or you guys coming on mine, it's I just think it's fantastic what you're mm. doing, and and um, I think that spirit of inventiveness and and just getting out there and making yeah. stuff and seeing where that might lead is is only good can come from it. Mm. Yeah. We're open for business. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> Craig's podcast game changes. Uh, you you were speaking just with talent on-air talent, but it's now broadened out to yeah. all different types it, of people. It's a bit more uh, industry-focused now, it's mm-hmm. a, and hopefully it'll it'll be an audio podcast yeah. as, as it continues to evolve. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's certainly been helpful to young radio mm-hmm. people, and, and, you know, there's some fantastic interviews there that, that I'm sure you'll find something interesting mm-hmm. in if you're into radio. Perfect. Thanks for coming on, Craig. Right. It's The Daily Talk Show. Hi, thedailytalkshow.com is our email address if you want to send us an email. Otherwise, uh, and before I go, I said oh, yeah. on Friday... Uh, we had two big announcements. One of the announcements yeah. was the new studio. Yes. The second announcement, which I didn't know what your announcement was going to be, so I overbaked it, was that I was getting a haircut on yeah, the weekend. Yeah, no haircut, bro. No haircut on the weekend. Oh. Uh, but <laughs> I will be getting one uh, Monday t- this afternoon. So anyway, I know you were wondering about that. It's a daily talk show. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>